reading this morning is from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 18. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then it was, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, as we was talked about in a beginning prayer, Pastor Giorgio is not feeling too good, the associate pastor here, and so continue to pray for him. Um, I think they'll be all right as long as Amanda is well. Um, he, he'll be okay. Um, I guess this series we are... In could be entitled, the one we're doing now through Christmas, Old Christmas Sermons, because that is what I'm going to do. I am re-preaching sermons I've done in the past at Christmas, just in case some of you actually think, I've heard this before. The fact that you remembered my sermons makes me feel so good. <laughs> but also the fact that I know that most of you have forgotten makes it so easy to re-preach them. Isn't that right, David Speakman, a preacher out there? Amari, y'all think people remember your sermons? I preached this one five years ago. Um, you might remember this one, though. 
but you're not a prophet or a seer or anything like that. I preach this one anyway. We Christians must come across, especially during the holiday season, as some of the most confused and mean people. I mean, think about it. We hold on to this incomplete picture of Christmas, this very cute act that the nativity scene has become for the so-called glory of God and right presentation of the gospel, right that is with what is more often than not a blue-eyed, blonde-haired mother and baby, a dark-headed or red-headed Irish or Saxon-looking dude is Joseph, some well-behaved Disney-like animals that neither smell of barnyard defecation and are without those rude, loud, snot and slobber-producing animal noises, and with them, the wise men who serve as protection against civil right litigation because we among them, we have at least one ethnic looking guy, right? A, a black guy with, with hair too straight to be typically African-American or, or maybe he's an Asian dude with, with a nose that is too long or straight to be typically Chinese or Korean, shrouded in racial obscurity. That third wise man saves us from being called racist. In an attempt to stay the kings and rulers of everything, religious or irreligious, we fight for correctness that guts Christmas of its realness, of its dramatic story. And for this issue, it is the magi, the ones we call wise men that I want to concentrate on this morning. We can blame them. For making this first Christmas time, we see here in Scripture, as the hardest for good religious people. Their presence in the Christmas story creates a big mess for Jews, God's chosen people. I don't know why we refer to the Magi as wise men, because at first glance, and they're seeking the king of the Jews, they are not so wise. They're just following some vague spiritual intuition that's been confirmed by the bright supernatural star that appeared over the region. In other words, they woke up and read the astrology thing in the paper one morning and got general idea of where Jesus might be. The Bible says that the star appeared over Jerusalem. In fact, it appeared over a region. You see, Bethlehem and Jerusalem were were walking distance from each other. Bethlehem was like uh, the Valentine of of Jerusalem. It was a a suburb, and and thus the star was far over at one region until they pulled closer. Some commentary suggests that this group of Magi ambassadors from the east most likely then thought at that point it was a newborn son of Herod's. Or one of his nephews who was to become the king of the Jews. Since the king of Judea under the Roman Empire, Herod alone was described and called the king of the Jews. But even if it was for some new king they were looking for, their journey to Jerusalem was about coming to kiss the ring, to to pay their respects. Don't take the worship thing too far. They didn't come with hymn books and a guitar. It was worship. It was according to an ancient belief in the spirituality of kingship. It was also the right thing. 
the wise thing to do considering the devastating conquering nature of the Roman Empire. It combined with this, the the cruel nature of the present king of the Jews, Herod, who had his wife strangled, his sons executed, a a popular priest drowned, and and had nobles deemed to be executed at his death so that there would be great mourning at his death. In other words, nobody was going to cry when Herod died, so he had everybody else killed that everybody cared about so that there would be tears at his funeral. They, the Magi were believing they were making proper respect to the king of the Jews, possibly another vassal puppet king of the Roman Empire, and thus a potential superpower, a kingpin, the big boss, the, the Don Corleone, which would provide protection and mercy for their countries in now and the future. Basically, they were going to kiss royal behind to protect theirs and those they led. That's what this whole thing's about. And get this, they didn't hide their coming. Look with me at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, I'm sorry, verse uh, 2. I'm, uh, this is not good. Verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, not any particular place, just this city, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard, the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. You know, I can imagine as I studied the Magi that that they came. You know, they didn't come with one minivan back then. It didn't work like that. They probably came with an entourage and, and they looked eastern. They had to be brothers because so they weren't from around those parts. They rolled up like the king of Zamunda and coming to America, rolling through and walking into barbershops and grocery stores of Israeli ghettos, asking, where is the king of the Jews? Their naive request, their presence causes a, a social and political mess Remember verse 3, Herod was troubled. They were going around town asking and looking conspicuous. Back at the throne room of Herod, word has gotten back. And it was like, who are they looking for? Herod's probably thinking, I'm the king of the Jews. And could you hear the scribes saying, like, like again, like some bad Disney movie, Master, the prophecies say that a king will be born in Bethlehem, the Messiah, which means that he is the one who comes to kick cruel leaders like you out. One bad brother from the south side is going to come to stick it to the man. And, of course, Herod, the man, uses the systems to weed him out. This didn't excite the Jews. They were fairly conservative at this point. They didn't want any revolutionaries causing trouble. And when these wise men go looking for the king of Jews, literally all hell breaks loose when these magi don't return to Herod to tell him with the location of the so-called new king of the Jews, he orders genocide. Look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. 
This is Rosewood all over again, y'all. Y'all know what Rosewood is? It's a movie I watched based on a true story of a white woman who accused a black man of raping her, turned out to be a white man, but they lynch every black man in the town. This is the L.A. riots. Get every white man around. This is September 11th. Let's get and kill everyone who we think looks Arab. Thousands of infants and toddlers are killed. And it all started with some well-meaning but politically misguided group of Eastern ambassadors coming in looking for the king of the Jews. And I am taking you through this story on a very human level, but I want to take you to a place that is very familiar to us. When people are looking for truth or understanding, it is messy and dangerous. When you and I are looking for truth that we are unsure of and there's only one way to do it haphazardly, we rock the boat and the number one song for religious good church, liberal or conservative, it doesn't matter, as with the Jews during the birth of Jesus, is don't rock the boat, please. I mean, look at what happens here. And it's crazy. God orchestrates and calls, and we'll get to how in a minute, these so-called wise men to disturb the system, which in turn stirs up sinful tendencies and anger and death. And that's why the crusades continue today. The right wing and the left wing crusade when, when people assert their rights to journey spiritually or politically on our turf in our churches in God's country. Let me tell you, war between people will be charged and led by those of us who, who see our personal control, which includes our religious hold on things that we have made sacred. We will fight and kill each other over it. Just put push the buttons and see. All you have to say is words like same sex or diversity or, or prayer or choice or war or hell or Jesus is the only way or Merry Christmas. I can't think of a lot of others. Some of you are afraid to ask your questions. You're afraid to ask and admit what you believe to journey into religious territory because of the mess it will cause. As a believer, even more so as a pastor of this church, so that your questions may lead you and be that you may be drawn to the truth, let the confusion of questions begin in this place, in this church, among these people here at Christ Central Church. Ask your question. Come with the knowledge you do have and know with the lifestyle and religious leanings that brought you through the door. Because let me tell you, in the chaos and confusion and loss of control it may bring, as Herod learned, and we should know, it will not and it does not destroy or kill or take out the Lord whom I believe is God. It does not take his place and his power and his salvation. And contrary to popular belief, Jesus does not need to have his name in the title of a holiday to survive as the truth. He does not need to have cashiers say, Merry Christmas. He does not even need to be in the nativity scene. He does
doesn't need to have you know it all or be settled in it all or take away the terms of subjects and predications. And I believe as this story tells, he will fill it in as he sees fit because he, Jesus, is the Lord of all for real. Which means if the nativity scenes, or or better yet, the scriptures are correct, Jesus is teaching that Christmas, the celebration of his birth, is a call for a multi-everyone holiday. Look who comes to him. Not the Jews. Not the scribes who had the prophecies memorized, who knew better. But he draws the magi. And I'm going to tell you that, that if you wanted to clean up Christmassy bit, make it holier and cleaner, we would not have the wise men on our lawns or on our fireplaces. We forget to mention that the wise men were far from being good church folk. I don't care how up and straight they hold the little, you know, gifts in their hands on your, on your fireplace. They are not who you may think they are. They were Zoroastrian. They were astrologists. They believed the stars could tell you about yourself. They were magi. They were magicians. Their, their actions might have been wise politically and spiritually for their, for their version of spirituality. And for all the Halloween is the devil's holiday people, you've got witch-like, warlike people, warlike people in the nativity scene. Surprise! It was not Christmas night for them. It was a happy holiday for these Magi. Anywhere from Persia or India or Egypt, some of these magi taught that the future resu- taught the future resurrection of death to, of men to a deathless existence. Some formed caste of priests called shamans and were skilled in oniromancy, astrology, astro- astrology, astronomy, and magic. The word magic is derived from the religious learning and occult practices of the magi. Oh, we get messy. Please, straighten it out, Pastor Brown. Not yet. As ancient mystics, they believe in the possibility of union with the divine nature by means of ecstatic contemplation. Reliance on spiritual intuition as a means of acquiring knowledge of mysteries inaccessible to the understanding. How can I put it in my own southern colloquialism? They was fool. That's what mama said. They were fool. Or some of you might call weirdos. Or what the proper might call pagan. Which pagan is okay according to the white light uh, uh, website. It's the proper prepper for entry into witchcraft, right? Being a pagan. I could imagine along with the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they rolled up with astrological tattoos on their bodies and faces, with looking glasses, with portable crystal balls on their belts, with talismans, that's rabbit's foot, and, and good-like charms in their hands, possibly perfumed and arrayed in offensive religious ways to the Jews they were visiting. They were Aladdin-looking brothers. So, some of the Magi helped write the Book of the Dead. Remember the mummy movie? Yeah, those guys. They were the first to possibly wear dreads and possibly believed in the spiritual pop property of here to some of them their music was spiritual never just entertainment they probably smelled the boca burgers and tofu and yogurt (laughs) 
They were mystic travelers and, and intuitive spiritualists, what some might call religious vagabonds or gypsies, multicultural to the nth degree, ethnically and spiritually. They were eclectics. They were real bohemians, at least spiritually speaking, in the context of the Bible. And some might think I've gone a little extreme in calling the Magi, the so-called wise men, bohemian. Look, I read a lot of stuff on these guys. And if I could only share with you all that I researched about the countries and cultures these Magi were from, it would make the modern-day Bohemians look like Rick Perry. (laughs) Ten years, they won't know who I'm talking about. There is, and there is no indication from the Scripture that they actually left believing in Jesus and got saved. So as a good Presbyterian, believing in the sovereignty of God, believing he wanted and invited them, knowing that they're going to be in every Christmas scene, and and somebody's kid is going to play a magician, a warlock, a witch guy, whatever, some kind of believer in astrology, somebody, some elder's kid is going to play a wise man. I'm a wise man. Really? Where's your crystal ball? Where's your book of the dead? You're a wise man. What was God thinking and doing? Why did he mess up his own nativity scene for all ages? God has opened the door to a mess, to a multicultural, multi-ethnic, to what, to what to some are scary words like diversity and religious tolerance. Why did God do this? And why are we trying to clean it up? Maybe our nativity scenes need to be redeemed and teach us in a new light that Christmas is not about being right or having all the right people saying and doing all the right things around Jesus. The Magi's presence teach and tell us from Scripture that Christmas, the coming of Jesus, is about his work as the Messiah to redeem the world from its sin and evil. That Christmas about Jesus is about Jesus coming and drawing people who are in darkness, not people who are already in the light, who might look a lot like what we would term darkness, people we would describe as, as, as off. Jesus came, this nativity scene teaches us, Jesus came to draw those people. Back to the evil magi practices for a minute. Two things were key to the story. Look with me at verse. Let's see if I can find it. Two. And they came saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship And then if we look down at verse 12. This is the Magi. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Okay. The Magi practiced and believed in two very pagan things. Astrology. And oniromancy, astrology, the belief that 
the stars said things and directed their lives. Not just, hey, uh, like, like the, the, the first version of, um, uh, of our guidance system. What's those things called that you have in your car? GPS, yeah, not just GPS. We want to clean it up. Oh, they were GPS people using the stars. No, when you read, they use them stars to tell them a lot of things. What am I eat for breakfast? Ah, that's what I need to do. Who do I need to marry? Ah, uh, that tells me, okay? The belief that the stars said things. And oniromancy, the beliefs that dreams were portents. They were ways for gods or angelic beings to talk to you. They didn't get that from Sunday school. No, their pagan religion taught it to them. All they knew was the star says the king is there, and the dream said don't go back to Herod about where Jesus was so he would not be killed. God used, he communicated, dare I say it, gave these non-Jew and used these pagan guiding principles, guiding stars to lead them to the truth. He drew them in a way that he alone could, that no Christian here would have thought to do. Yeah, have them to believe some ancient astrological theory, see a star, believe it, go, and then depend on their ability to channel truth through dreams, to come to and serve Jesus. Many of us want people to come down the aisle crying and weeping without question, burning their CDs because they've seen the truth of their evil ways. And yes, repentance is a cornerstone of coming to Jesus. But our Lord Christ, Jesus Christ draws people to one truth, to one person, to one place of peace, to one hope, to one salvation, to one name, through a myriad of questions and journeys. Just because we see a star, because we are touched by a truth that may be altogether wrong and unorthodox from our perspective, but bringing and being used by redemption, by God's sovereign plan, because he is God. Let me say this. No one came or comes to Christ for all good reasons and with all good motives. Nobody. And none of you Christians have it all together. Every single one of us is still struggling and journeying in a way that is offensive to the Lord you're following. Have you ever thought about that? Some of the questions you have about your own God are offensive to him. That some of the struggles you're having with your sin are offensive to him. No one in here knows and has it all figured out. We don't want that to be the gospel. We don't want the Lord alone to have us figured out. We want to have it figured out so that we can be acceptable to the Lord. We want to make ourselves acceptable to the Lord. Christianity is about being drawn. It's about being called and saved by Christ. And it's never been. And it's not about someone knowing everything and having their theology and stuff together enough for God to include them in his community or company. In this way, surprise. We are and we're all magi in some way. 
We follow the star, some of us, of community. Oh, we love the church community. You didn't love Jesus more than you love the idea about being with people who have to love and accept you because that's what churches do. Some of us believe what was a dream to us in the spoken word of God. We heard about love and peace and joy and freedom and change, and righteousness, and unconditional love without a clear understanding that Jesus was at the bottom of it. We believed the dream of having a father that finally, you know, of having a father that will never leave us or or forsake us, of of this dream of of finally being fulfilled sexually or or the dream of being seen or heard and, and known. And then we have this crazy intuitive notion or feeling of a need to have an intimate union with the creator. We kind of knew was there even though we didn't know his exact name. Every single one of you had a dream of what this thing being a believer was and surprise it was about Jesus Christ even those we would call conservatives following the star of family values the star of disciplined living the star of absolute truth the star of knowing You believe the dreams of prosperity. Hey, man, if me and God get it right, oh, he'll help me pay my bills. You follow what sounded like the American dream, some of you. The dream of what seemed to be your passage to to being the perfect mom. Oh, I'm going to join the church and, and, you know, I'm going to come and and then I'll be the perfect mom or perfect dad. You know, this is about morally getting better. You know, I, I finally have my dream of not having any more problems. Surprise. It's about Christ and him crucified for your sins. Not about fulfilling your dream. It's about his dream for you, not your dream about him. But praise God, look how he used your dream, your star to draw you to him. And all that pagan-based stuff, God used to lead you to a king who could truly love you and save your soul in your world. Do you know why I became a Christian? I told y'all, some of y'all know, because I was failing algebra. Oh, yeah. And my mom, you know, when she became a believer, she was, I'm not dogging it. So don't even think I'm dogging it. When I say she was on the charismatic side of things. They believe in power. You know, Jesus, he can change stuff. Man, when I got that 56, the first semester algebra, I needed God. Because I was dumb. And you know, in algebra, once you get behind, you can't catch up. I needed God to take me back to the future. (laughs) I was so far behind. I said, Mama, I was reading Daniel. And the Bible says God gave Daniel and his friends knowledge and all kinds of things. I want that God. But what I was really saying is I want that knowledge, that power. I wanted Jesus to fix me. I prayed a prayer in the living room of my house to accept Jesus. 
and the next semester had a 90 in, in, in algebra. Christianity is so good, right? Because it's all about getting good grades or finding a husband or finding a wife or having children or getting a job. I remember, you know, like maybe a few months later, I was like, wow, here I am in the nativity scene, like, like the scene of my birth, my, my born-againness in Jesus Christ, and I'm learning some things that had nothing to do with why I actually came to him. Why can't the gospel simply be about Jesus' power and love for us? and his making us right, and his revealing the truth, and not about us coming because we have the truth. I remember thinking, hey, I'm a Christian now. I'm get good grades in algebra, and only got like a couple of sins. I'm on the way. I had three things I needed Jesus to deal with. That was my dream. Let me say this, especially at this church with this diversity of people. It is easy to wonder whether you belong. You're different, right? You're not even asking the same questions and looking for the same answers. A lot of you've come to the city, the church city of Jerusalem, if you will. A lot of stuff you do and others may not may do don't seem to make sense to each other. Some of us want to shout. Some of us want to cry. Some of us want to be in control. So many things have drawn us to church and to this church. We had a dream and hope of what we thought it would become and get what we want. We are traveling for all different reasons and in different ways, sinful and godly and from different places. And we all need the same king to fix it, though. I must say this, for many it is and was happy holidays that drew you food and gifts and goodwill and lights and sounds and, and God was pleased to send you a happy holiday card without a nativity scene so that one day just maybe you would find your place in the scene yourself, but not just checking him out, but for real bowing your knee and heart and life to the God who allows you to come with questions, who rather come for the ones with questions and confusions and eclecticisms and thoughts of ultra-conservatism. Jesus comes and he draws us. That's what his coming was about. And it's a shame the way we treat each other, the church, that if people don't come in the same exact journey with the same questions, there's no way they could get Jesus. We don't want to just declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to also declare this is the way you have to come. And this is the way you have to, the questions you have to ask. And this is the way you always have to answer the question. And there's, you know, it's not just Jesus is the answer. There's all kinds of ways you have to change this way. You have to change this political viewpoint. You have to vote for this person. And you got to do these things. It's a shame. And some of you felt it. You came with your questions. You came looking different. And nobody wanted you. You had to to change it up because Jesus wasn't powerful enough or the gospel preach wasn't powerful enough for you to actually know and for you to be found in the truth to find you in Christ. Come, 
come. Don't come having it all together. Don't come knowing all the answers. Don't even be ashamed necessarily of why you are actually here. Here's a rule. When it comes to welcoming people and drawing people and being a people here, you can't be more restrictive than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You can't be more restrictive than Jesus Christ. Look at y'all. Look who he's drawn. I know some of your stories. Y'all didn't come just because of Jesus. You came for like 20 reasons, and Jesus was like number 16. And by his grace, there you are in the scene of redemption, bowing to the king. He did it. His grace, his gospel. Christ has surrounded himself in a nativity scene, or let's call it the church, which is, a trans, which is transformed into a bohemian ghetto, a ghetto of people like you and me who are prone to wonder and wander, to be vagabonds and who like to try to live life apart from him and different from what he has. A ghetto of people just, just trying their best just to make a world of mess make sense, who try to create worth and beauty and good feelings. We are the ghetto of people, his people, whom he comes to be with and draw himself and draw to himself, and probably and surely will be their Lord. Because he is powerful. He is the present Savior. He is the one who draws and changes and transforms us. When we started this church, I thought it was kind of cool having all different kinds of people. We're, 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 we're a collective community. Great. It's been very difficult. Y'all are some difficult people. Because you're all sort of different. All with all kinds of questions. I got my own questions too. And I want to change it, you know, make all y'all do the same thing and be the same way so it's easier. And it's hard not to make a regiment of, of, of coming to Christ here, to make a regiment of sanctification here. It would be so much easier to do that than just preach the gospel. I, don't, I mean, it would be so much easier, but y'all won't let it happen because y'all just keep coming with your questions and your stories and your journeys. And Christ will keep coming with his love and his power and his grace for each and every one that he draws.